afternoon Ryan here with the power of helping people we are here today with a special guest we you know I've, I've known this guy almost my whole life uh, we went to elementary school together uh, at Clear Lake back in the day which is pretty cool we'll have a lot of stories to tell about that we also graduated from Oxford High School in 2000 together um, we actually uh, what's really cool about this is we actually were both tight ends in high school so one was on the right one was on the left and uh, you know this guy Andrew Holt, which most people call him Drew, uh, has two awesome, awesome kids: uh, McKenna, which is you know ten years old, and Austin, which is pretty cool too because Austin is thirteen. And what's really cool about it is he's following in his dad's footsteps. He's actually a a very, very good football player. So it's really cool. But we're gonna we're gonna welcome Drew Holt. What's up, buddy? What's going on? Dude, this is uh, pretty exciting because uh, you are actually one of my first guests that I actually graduated with that I wanted to bring on because you're such a talented, talented person. And I actually was going back in your Facebook feeds, and I was so surprised. I saw a couple like Qatar solos. I saw a couple, you know, paragliding stuff. Motor or is powered. Power paragliding, yeah. Paragliding. So, which is even really cool. He he's a avid skier. He's you know he's a he was a former cop. He's actually retired. Um, he was actually at uh, Pittsfield Township in 2007. Actually transferred over to Washington, which is pretty cool. And actually got an early retirement in 2014. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Um, you actually retired from Washington, but tell us a couple stories that you know impacted you as 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 you were as a sheriff uh, at Washington. Yeah, yeah. So as you know, uh, we played football for Bud Raleigh, and playing football for Bud Raleigh is, well, I was here 15 minutes early today, wasn't I? Because oh, yeah. 15 minutes early is on time, and oh, yeah. on time is late. So that's always been my motto. If ever since high school, it was just ingrained in me, ingrained, you're on, on time because you're early. And so I've never had a situation where being on time was a disadvantage, or being early was a disadvantage. It's always been something that happens good. And it's been over my life, things keep happening. I've, you know, chance favors the prepared man, right? So... This was back in 2010, maybe 2011, somewhere in there. Um, I got to the department. Uh, the, union, the way union works is like, you know, you got to be dressed and ready to go by the time the clock, you know. Um, but I always got there earlier because I want to be ready to go before that time. And uh, so I'm getting my patrol car ready and I hear a call come in for um, a, a, a baby born at home, uh, not breathing. And they give the address, and I'm like, oh, man, that's like that's like right down the street here from the station. I'm the closest officer. The closest, I mean, the next closest officer is a township over, you know. He's at least seven, eight minutes out. But for a baby who's not breathing, not enough time. So I jumped in my car and took off over there and said, hey, dispatching, I'm, I'm, I'm going to that call. I get there. The parents are like, nope, the baby's already passed, you know. So I'm like, where's the baby? So I run upstairs and uh, started doing CPR, you know, started you know, just keeping oxygen going into the baby because the ambulance was on the way. Um, and as the ambulance got there, the baby started crying and started breathing again. It was, it was absolutely unbelievable. Oh, so that to me was just, there, you know, being on, t uh, being on time is being early. And uh, that was a moment for me just to be able to get back to the community and, you know, help like that. That's what it's all about. You know what I mean? I know law enforcement gets a bad rap nowadays for a lot of things. Um, but if you were to have a TV show of all the good things cops, do, it would just go on forever. Just go on forever because 
Yeah. It's, it's amazing because you literally never gave up. So you literally said, I'm going to go there, I'm going to take care of it, and then you just didn't give up. Yeah. And I think that the cool thing about that is is there are so many good stories out there that I obviously when you do something, you don't hear about those stories. So right. you always hear about the negative stuff. So being able to show a positive story, and that's why that was my first question because we're going to dive back into your you know childhood and you know how we grew up. But I really wanted to tell a couple of good stories because what a better way to start this podcast as an icebreaker and tell something that was powerful in your eyes and then it's going to turn in to be powerful for everybody sure, else sure. too because you just saved an individual have you ever thought about where that individual is today well yeah so so the issue is uh uh the family uh was of a different religion um and so me seeing the wife exposed was a big no-no and so um actually good morning america contacted them and contacted the sheriff's department and wanted to fly me out to new york to do a story about it but wow. the, the family wasn't cooperative because I mean, they were appreciative but they're not cooperative with yeah. the cultural oh, things yeah, that absolutely. so um so i don't know i'm not sure but i i do wonder about that child you know what i mean that it's yeah. probably a little you know 10 year old girl by now i know and and i and i truly believe that like that was a pivotal moment in that person's life that changed and she probably really doesn't know about that unless her mother has told her about that right that's true so you know i mean she it's called that second chance she had that yeah. second chance yeah. with god and that she's probably doing something really powerful as a 10 year old person right yeah. now because well. there's a reason why god kept her in this world sure. Right. So let's 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 dig into our childhood. Let's let's go back to Clear Lake. Let's go back to like the playground days where we played football. I mean, back in the day, and I and I'm gonna tell this story because I think it's so pivotal to our childhood. Is is, is when I I would be that kid that liked Michigan State, and you were that kid that liked Michigan. Yeah. And there was a lot of those people that went to school. Andy Rab, yeah. uh, you got Jeff Much that liked Michigan. You got Dave Emmon. I was that solo guy that like right. was that state. And and what's really cool about it is we're having this interview and and, and the big rivalries coming up this week so so i wanted to talk about this because it's like i brought a football every single day and it was a michigan state football and jeff much brought his or michigan football and it was always a fight it was like they'd always take my michigan state ball and they'd kick it and they kick it over the fence and and i was that kid that i would just run over there and grab the ball and be like hey listen if we beat you we're playing with the state ball if you beat me you can play with the michigan ball so we had this like Yep. this rivalry back and forth and I, and I think that that's what's missing today in today's age because kids want to get on their phones and their gadgets and and and, and watch football but they don't really go outside and play so no, not as much right here here we are and and I, I want you to share some advice in the, in the story on this is as we played football and we were very competitive and and Nick Scarf I don't remember him oh, oh, dude. Yeah. so so I, I follow him on Facebook too but we, we always had that rivalry. What do you feel as kids today and kids back then, what do you think the difference is in, in not in, not so much as growing up, but the generations? I mean, let's tell let's talk about our generation as, as young kids and let's talk about today's generation. Why don't we why don't we I'll let you go first and you, you can discuss that and I'll go into it a little bit. I uh, yeah, that's tough. I, I mean, um... I th- here's what I think. Here's what I think. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, right? That's how science works. That's how our theories work. So I think that every good father wants to provide for his child. And I think he wants to even over-provide a little bit. Sometimes even give the kids the things that they wanted as a kid but couldn't get. And I know I have. I wanted a, I wanted a go-kart so bad when I was a kid. It just wasn't going to happen. You know what I mean? <laughs> Guess what my kids got? They got a go-kart. Well, I maintain absolutely. all the... You know what I mean? Um, so if you look... Over time, I'm an I'm aspiring historian, I'm an amateur genealogist, but if you look over time, you can watch trends and patterns if you're looking, if you're looking at history from a big picture. And I think during the 90s, 
um, was the richest time of American history. The dot-com boom, the oil was flowing, the dot-coms, the, you know, the internet was, was, was just booming. And I think that was the richest period, and I think there are reactions for having the richest time and period. And so I think a lot of times, and I've seen it on MTV, turned all these reality shows where it's my 16th birthday, and they're spending $30,000 and kids see that and we mimic what we see. Right. And so there's a desire for that. And I think we've, we've indulged our kids. There's not as much hard workers are used to be, you know, I look at Hickmont, right? This is the kind of kid who's got to get up early and go do his chores and do the pens and stuff before he then gets breakfast and goes to school, football practice, come home and keep, you know what I mean? That's missing. And if you look at his work ethic, you can see his work ethic. You know, he's a hard worker. You know what I mean? I truly believe that because, I mean, you, you even look at our generation now as kids. I mean, I look at, you know, our our, our generation, like, you know, you, myself, we're always hard workers. We, mm-hmm. we went into football. There was no there was no taking plays off. It was that generation that you were you're going to work your butt off and you're going to go and, and you're just going to do it. And there was no excuses. I feel like right. now today, a lot of the kids make excuses and when they make excuses, it's okay to make excuses because yeah. nobody holds them accountable. That's true. You know, so, so as us, as us parents, we've got to hold and structure our kids, not so much the way our parents did because we just wanted to do it. Right. So our parents didn't push us to do anything. We just wanted to do it. And I, I was that one of those kids that, you know, my father wasn't around a lot. So I had my grandfather and he yeah. took me to everything. And he was like, he was that inspiring. Like he wanted to make sure that I was excelling in everything. And he pushed me to do those things. I feel like today and age, you know, if you don't have that structured mentality with your kids, yeah, I think I think the biggest thing is is just they lose their way and they get veered off in different ways. So we got to pull them back, and I think that's what our parents did really well with us. Yeah, is like when we got off track and we did something bad. Yeah, they pulled us back in. They said, "Hey, this is the reason why you can't do this." Yeah, we got spanked, and we and we did get spanked, <laughs> right. and we got spanked a lot. Right. You know, I remember, and, and my mom's gonna kill me for saying this, but. I think I lipped off to my mom once, and I think she had this diamond ring on her hand, and I, it cracked my it cracked my lip, and I just started gushing blood, and she's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just did that, but here I am like, oh my God, I can't believe she just did that. Right. Like, right. it's like, that's right. the kind of stuff that you need to, to do, but nowadays, you'd get punished for that kind of stuff. I right. mean, you'd literally right. spend time in jail. Have you ever had an issue when you were a sheriff? Absolutely. And, and the kid called on his mom, and yeah. you're like, okay, what did you do wrong? Because that would be my question. Absolutely. I've been in multiple cases like that. One, uh, parents aren't parenting like they used to. I don't think. Yeah. We call it tough love. Yep. I don't think there's anything wrong with spanking kids. I don't think that um, spanking them in the heat of the moment is the right thing always. I don't know. Um, because then that teaches them that maybe violence is the way we solve out my way. I solve my issues. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, but uh, there's definitely some lacking, I think. It's almost parents. that warning, though. We always got that warning. Oh, it's for like, sure. It's like, oh, if, for if, sure. like if you do this and you're not going to yeah. listen to me, yeah. the next time you're going to do this, yeah. be ready. Right. And when you had that, you were like, okay, I'm done. Yep. <laughs> I'm not doing this. Yep. Yep. You know? I think, I think too, like, I mean, it, it's all in how the parents raise. I mean, I, I personally feel that my kids are very, very structured. My kids have, they do make mistakes, right. but they're like everybody, but they're very genuine good kids. Right. And I Absolutely. think that is like you said, it, it, they mimic you. They, they, they're watching you all the time. Yeah. So as, as us parents, if we're complaining about our boss, if we're complaining about our job, they're going to mimic that. And then so when they get that job, they're oh, going to yeah. complain too. So right. I, I look at things like that too. So I got to be really grounded and watch myself what I do. Because if they're hurting inside, you don't even know why they're hurting. So ask those questions. Right, for sure. You know, same thing with us, you know. Right. So I think there's a there's a huge gap in the generations. But I also think there's a lot of kids coming up nowadays that are changing that. 
Yeah, like I, I feel like my kids and, and their friends and I think it's really just it's based on the, the kids that they hang out with. Yeah. It's, because it's, if the kids are good mimic. and play, oh, they mimic, yeah. That's why parents in middle school want to keep you away from certain kids and, oh, no, no, you can't hang out with them. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Now, now so we, we hung out with some really good kids in, 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 in high school, and I think that pattern took us into, you know, the the later years of our high school career. And, you know, I was, I was, a, I was a, a kid that really just went, you know, I was friends with everybody. So like, you know, and, and they, people always state this, you are who you hang out with. Yep. And it's not that I didn't hung out with them. I was just that underdog guy. I didn't want people picking on stuff, right. you know, and you were the same way. You were almost that, that connect. You were like, I always wanted to help out too. And I, and I remember that. So, you know, has there been a story in high school that changed you as a person mm -hmm. and also, you know, impacted other people in the, because what I, what I did is, is I always used to stick up for bullies. Yep. And I tell my kids this. This is one. This is Wait, one thing. Stick up I, for the bullies or people. No, st bullied? no. Stick up for the people that are getting bullied. Like getting bullied. Yep. Right? Getting bullied. So what I would do is, is I tell my kids, if somebody asks you to stop, they ask you to stop once, and that's it. That's done. Because after that fact, you're bullying. Right. Back in the day, that's how we handled things. You know, we we like we literally said, hey, if you're gonna keep bullying me, we're gonna go toe to toe. Right. We're going to fence and go into <laughs> and, and that's how and that's how it was. And do you feel? And this is, leads out to my next question. Do you feel that if kids were allowed to, uh, you know, pick up a pair of boxing gloves, if you if, if they jumped over the fence and had a fight because somebody was picking on somebody else and you wanted to handle the situation? Because here's the thing: is back then, back then you handled the situation and it went on and everything was fine and you knew right. your ground. Right. Nowadays, there's bullying on the internet. There's bullying oh, yeah. on social media. Well, how do you feel about that? It's tough because the answer to our problems is never violence. Although that seems to be what we use a lot of times, whether it's war, whether it's whatever, you know what I mean? And with kids, it, that's tough because I know that there were bigger kids that got bullied. And I know that if they really wanted to, they could probably pounce on this other guy and beat the crap out of him. You know what I mean? Um, we don't allow them to do that. We don't allow them to do it at school, at the bus stop, outside of school at all if it uses suspensions um but i do know that like, there's definitely you know brain signals and synapses that are going on and when you experience pain or great suffering that leaves new pathways and something you remember when you touch that stove you only have to touch it one time and melt your finger before you realize every time you go oh, oh you know what i mean so if some kid were to sucker punch another kid he's gonna remember that like oh you know it, he won't bully, he won't bully you again because you punch him. Well, we can't do that anymore, right? I mean, so you can't even encourage your kids like, hey, you can't punch him, you know. Um, so I don't know where the line is. There seems to be a big pendulum shift, and I'm not, I don't know where that, how far it goes. And I guess and it, I guess it depends on how far they push it. You know, like I, yeah. my my son came up to me at a football game a couple weeks ago at Oxford, and and I saw the the fear in his eyes. It was fear. It was like I could see he was crying, he was whimpering, he was feared. And it was a sixth grader, and he's in fourth grade, and he was picking on him, and he's throwing him down. And, like, he, he was running away from him. The guy kept going after him yeah, and going yeah, after him. Yeah. I said, Gavin, I said, how many times did you ask him to stop? Right. And he said, I, 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 I begged him to stop. And I said, that is when it's time to make things happen. Right. And I said, that's that because you begged him to right. stop. Right. If somebody, if you beg somebody to stop doing something, that's when it's, it's enough's enough. Yeah. If he keeps doing it, you got to protect yourself. Yeah. You know, sure. so sure. physical stuff. And I said, we, and, and he goes, dad, you're right. He goes, but I don't want to hurt somebody. I said, listen, you're not hurting somebody. You're sticking up for yourself. Right. 
I said so. So he had the, the the courage to say, Dad, I don't really want to do this, but I had to tell him where the point was. Like right. he was at that point where he was shivering, right. and I, I just said, you know what? I said, you do, you got to do what you got to do. Yep. You know, so what that, a learning experience though for him. Like, it's a learning. very very learning you experience. Start to feel like this. And yep, then. and you so when because he knew in his stomach. That yeah. he was something was going to happen, you yeah, know totally. that you know that that yeah. fear. It's yeah. the fear. It's the fight or flight. It's, it's your nervous system, dude. It's, it's your nervous right. system. Yeah. Have you ever had your thirteen-year-old son Austin come up to you and say, "Hey, somebody's been picking on me," or this because he's a big kid? <laughs> yes, yes, he did. And uh, I, I talked to the kid. You know, he talked to the kid, and I talked to the dad. Is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it kept happening, kept happening. So finally, I, I pulled all four of us together. You know what I mean? I say, "Listen, this is what's going on." Okay. And I looked at the other guy's son and I said, listen, if you hit my kid again or put him in a headlock or whatever, you're never going to see him again, ever. Like, I mean, we'll, we'll cut the ties and you guys aren't friends and we'll, adios, you know what I mean? If you want to be friends still, you got to stop doing this, you know what I mean? And that, that kind of solved, oh, okay, you know, it became real when you had a little meeting or whatever, draw attention to it, you know? Um, so I, I hate doing those things, but sometimes that's part of the learning process and some kids are slower at learning some things. Dude, things. good, good conflict in, in, in that, mm -hmm. in that spot is awesome you yeah. know why because it teaches the kids to confront their conflict for sure as opposed to running and hiding and running and hiding and and because we're we're in this generation as is, is, is this big hustler go 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 mm -hmm. go and then you have the the keyboard warriors that'll that'll knock you down you know i have a lot of people that don't like me and 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 it, it, it's okay yeah it's okay to not like somebody right. um the, here's the thing, though, is, is you still have to have an open mind. So that's why I love doing what I'm doing is because I listen to people. I'm here listening to you, and I'm just like, man, that's a great way to do it. You right. sit, sit them both down, and you say, hey, listen, if you're not going to do this, then that's it. That's that's it. it. You're done. You'll never be friends ever again. Right. And that, they could be best friends, and now all of a sudden they're just playing around and just right. they keep doing it. Keep and doing they it. became even better friends after that. 100%. They stick up for each other. They're on the same team. You know what I mean? Hey, just I like know. Austin and Holt. Hey, Austin Holt. <laughs> Austin Holt. <laughs> So, so, so I'm going to tell the, he, he named his son Austin Holt, and I'm sure it's not because of me, but he named his, he named his son Austin Holt. And back in 1999 and 2000, Austin Holt was the best, I think the best, that's my opinion. Okay. All right. my opinion, <laughs> the best dual tight end in Oxford history. Yeah, now, right. now I think Zach Lyon is bringing in dual tight ends Is now. He? So we might have some competition yeah, coming up right. here soon. That's so right. we're going to have to really pay attention to that yeah. since they're uh, actually they're playing in their first playoff games uh, tomorrow night uh, tomorrow? in Clarkston. Yeah, yeah, Friday night lights. They're going yeah. so they're going to be out in Clarkston. It's uh, I, I believe uh, Clarkston is eight and one, and I believe we are five five and four. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be a pretty good battle. I remember they played at Oxford and they barely really? lost. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, so was that first game or was that homecoming? Was that homecoming? That was, I believe, homecoming. Yeah. yeah. And Clarkston was. We 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 almost won that game. Yeah, I know it was very. We close. almost won the game. I think they won in the last four minutes. But um, let's yeah. let's dive into your family life. You got you got. Uh, how was it like? Um, you know, really being raised with two older brothers and one younger brother. I mean, I, I had I had one brother, a younger brother, and I know we picked on each other and we went at each other. But how was it with two older brothers and then one younger brother? It was good. My oldest brother, Jesse, who is now the pastor of Lake Point Church, uh, he was old enough to where, like, we were in different worlds. You know, I'm in elementary school. He's in high school or oh, yeah. graduated. You know what I mean? It's like, a, you know, my Topher, Chris, uh, second guy, he's was in high school when I was in middle school. By the time I got to middle, you know, he was gone. Um 
It was good. It was good. Uh, Jesse couldn't play sports and Brian couldn't play sports, the oldest and the youngest for some medical conditions. So Topher and I have both played sports. So there's a lot more aggression between us oh, yeah. two, wrestling and all that oh, kind yeah. of stuff. Um, but it's good stuff. It's good, healthy. You know what I mean? I think I think there's an instinct in the male genetics, whatever that may be, to be aggressive. And um, I mean, you give a kid a stick, a boy's going to turn it into a gun. It doesn't make it; he's just going to turn into a gun at some point. Alpha male in us. Yeah, that's, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. And I think it's I think that's good. Um, and that's why when I see kids that have aggression, like I always ask the parent, "Hey, have you thought about club wrestling?" Because that's the place where you get to go and actually oh, throw people around and use your muscles and twist on, you know what I mean, um, to a certain degree. And so it, that and football are a very violent sports, and it's a way to get that aggression out, you know what I mean? So uh, that's what I always encourage people, but if their kids are fighting. So so, whatever, so you led to sports with you and Topher, uh, yeah. did sports, and I believe he was a very good wrestler. Yeah, he's a pretty good wrestler for, so, for, for getting into it late, you yeah. know what I mean, starting in high school basically, you know. So, so he he got into wrestling. He was a football player, didn't he? Did he play on a, a good team at the time or no? So, I'm an a- amateur historian. <laughs> so, Oxford football goes way back to the oh, yeah. 1800s, early 1900s. Yeah. Um, Oxford, since leaving the OAA and going into Flint Metro League in 1984, when we were six and two our first year, I mean, we just came in blazing, and then we won. Basically, we took it away from Fenton and Lapeer West and started fighting with them all the way up. Um, up until there was a three-year span where we just had a rough time. That was 95, 96, 97. <laughs> that was your brother's era. That was my brother's era. Oh. But their great players came out of there. Jason yeah. Bailey came out of there going off to you know play at uh, Michigan Tech and yeah. linebacker. There was definitely great players. It's just that. Was Cardona on that team too? Cardona might have. Yeah, he must have been. He must have been. He was probably on the 96. I know he played in 95, 96, 97, I believe. Okay, so yeah, he was. He was yeah. on the, at that yeah. year. There was a losing five and four kind of. But uh, but even my brother would tell me, like, look at our offensive line. I'm 168 pounds. He's a starting tackle. And Ryan Corral's a starting guard at 150 pounds. They're just, just smaller. You know what I mean? You're working with what you got. And that uh, the, sometimes the league is just that good. You know what I mean? So, so let's go back to your oldest brother. I mean, he's yeah. he's the pastor at Lake Point. Yeah. Um, what a what an awesome awesome experience to be able to have your father, which was the pastor for how many years was he? Oh my gosh, forty two years. Forty two yeah. years, and it used to be called Christ the King. Yeah. And then we used to have fifth quarter after football games. Yeah, fifth quarter, the fifth quarter. Yeah. So the fifth quarter was was basically something that the the church brought in because the kids, you know, what would they do after the games? Do they go get in trouble or do they come in and they get together and as as kids and have fun and dance and play games and that's what fifth quarter was kind of designed for right yeah basically just something to do after the games and keep kids from out drinking doing oh, whatever they're doing you know what i mean and so you ha- and i still have pictures from that oh, yeah. of, of taking with, with the, the, with the oh yeah with the, <laughs> dude it was probably a probably box camera or something of some old 35 millimeter camera yeah. but we used to take pictures and, and i remember there was like emily hale brian oleski yeah. uh, myself bruce boy all these guys and taking pictures and in the background it was all the old wood and all that like yeah. from the cabin yeah. so yeah. like we'd be in these areas so but back to the jesse is now your your father is stepping down and he's and he's leaving obviously uh which now is lake point yeah. and he's passing on to your older brother right and i heard he's doing an amazing job Oh yeah, oh yeah, he is. I mean, it's a difficult time. You come in, first of all, it's never easy to follow your father in his footsteps, especially oh, if he does great things. You absolutely. know what I mean? That that's difficult yeah. uh, because you'll never be him, and you know, um, people get accustomed to a certain person. And so, him coming in 
and helping take over the church, uh, it's a very difficult process. It's a you know, tough transition, but he's doing a great job. And the things that he's doing is really meeting the needs of the community, whether it's free meals. We have three schools in there now. You know, There's a preschool and a middle school and a high school. Um, so there's a lot more going on with the campus. You know, Being an old, an old uh, you know, Presbyterian church camp that uh, was converted, basically. Um, from that point going forward, you have this huge campus, 27 acres on a lake, on a peninsula with an island. It's like, what are we going to do with it? So he's done a great job with that, too, utilizing the property for all types of things. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, so he's doing a great job. It's it's a tough situation, but, um, yeah, he's doing a really He also job. has um, one of my friends, a nonprofit in there, uh, Love for a Child, uh, oh, Joseph yeah. Valley. They're one of the and, organizations. Yep, yeah. they're one of the organizations there, and uh, he actually does, he actually helps him there. Yeah. And they guys, they I think they're doing some stuff together too. But uh, Joe has been one of my buddies. He actually worked for me for a couple of years. But Joe is a, a, a awesome person. He was actually on my podcast several weeks ago. So nice. he's that, a, just an amazing person. And I know you posted some stuff of the Brannies being at his yep, camp, and yep. um, you know that camp is just is just unbelievable. Yeah, I mean it's, it it changes right. kids' lives. And, and that's what we're about. I mean, that's the, you and I, I know yeah. that you're like that too. Yeah, you're like, totally. we want to make a difference in these kids' lives. And have you ever been to that camp? Have you been? So I've been to Echo Grove when we were in fifth grade yeah, yeah, for our fifth grade yeah. camp, but I haven't been to experience their camp. Okay. Um, here's the thing. My brother, Jesse, the, he, he writes a lot of his sermons at a bean to go in Lake Orion. Okay. Like he loves coffee. So he's That's a awesome. coffee, he's a coffee connoisseur. He say he won't, but he's a foodie. He's a coffee kind of, you know, he won't say it, but, it, but if he doesn't like something, you know, so he's in there all the time. So he hears this guy talking on the phone about something and he's talking about scripture or whatever. And you know, turns around and look. So then he's listening to the conversation and then Joe finishes the conversation and is like, can I help you with something? And he's like. You said you were in need, right? You're looking for sponsors. Whatever. He's like, well, yeah, we just, you know. He's like, well, we don't have a ton of money, um, but if you still need an office, we have an office for you with Wi-Fi, electric, the whole thing, your keys. And, and Joe was like, really? So yeah. So here's the thing. So I work part-time maintenance at the church, right? I help you know, winterize things, plows, yeah. mow, whatever, whatever I need to do. Um, and Joe's and Michelle had their office there, yeah. and they had this new big wooden sign, right? And uh, I just got to say, first of all, I think what they're doing is not only incredible, but that's the true gospel right there. I mean, it, Christianity is, is not a bunch of facts to be remembered and memorized. It's what you do. You know what I mean? I mean, so is somebody a Christian, I don't know, ask their neighbors. Yeah. That's who's going to be able to tell you. You know what I mean? I love it. So, love it. so, so what Joe does, I think is, I mean, you're taking children. I mean, the, the 40, you know what the number of the 40 means and, and what these people, ex kids experience, uh, that they are going after the most hurt, the most vulnerable. Because here's the thing. I did read, so I was kind of looking into that. I did read that um, when a child can't dream of his future, right? Like it, they have, they're not, they're not going to go far, right? They're not going to excel. They're not going to do the thing. And a child who is in survival mode, doesn't know where to get their next meal, doesn't know if they're going to get beaten, doesn't know if they're going to get whatever. A child in survival mode can't dream. And so kids who are in survival mode can't dream. So Joe is taking these kids and showing them that they can dream. You can, there is more this. It's so powerful to me that, that he asked me, he's like, Hey, you know, the maintenance guy, you know, would you, would you mind hanging the sign in our office? Yeah, like, yeah absolutely. You know what I mean? To the studs, the whole thing. Yeah. And, and uh, he tried to give me a hundred dollars to do it for my time. It took me, it took me like 45 minutes, an hour, whatever. And uh, I said, Joe, I'm not going to take your money, dude. Like what you guys do. I mean, I should be paying. I wish we could do more for you guys, you know? So he, he gave me money. He's still, he, he slipped it into my, into my tool, but I'm like, okay. All right. So I went and got an envelope. Yeah. I wrote up a note and said, God bless your organization. Here's a $100 donation from Drew. And then put it in his mailbox. I you know what I mean? It. I can't take money. For what he's doing, are you kidding me? Trying to pay me to... 
So yeah, so Love for a Child, we've got Love Inc., Love Incorporated. Yeah. Um, they're there as well. Different organizations that we have on campus that, that you know. I'm, a, I'm an avid uh, supporter of uh, Love for a Child, and, and, yeah. and you know, and, and there's there's ways to donate. I mean, I, I, it's easy for me. I just literally link it to my account, and yep. it takes out every month. So yep. it's just very simple, very easy. Um, those are Those are definitely things that, you know, that's why I brought you on here because, you know, not only did we graduate together, but I felt like our generation and our, and our, and our friends and everything all slid down the same path, you know, literally just, they always wanted to help people. And so my, my question is, is, is to you is, is who's that mentor? And I'm sure you, you, you've probably said this before, but who's that mentor that really changed your life? Not only in middle school, high school, or who's that, that one that just, just switched your your whole thinking, a way you got to do things, and I'm I'm assuming that it's probably one or two people. But tell us who that person is. My dad, my dad's my hero. That's awesome. Always has been. You know what I mean? He showed me everything in life. You know, everybody has different experiences with their fathers. You know what I mean? Um, and uh, even in the same family, people have different experiences with with their father. Um, but here's the thing: like he's always been faithful. Now he didn't know his father. He didn't know who his dad was. He was his mother was a teenage pregnancy. That's my, why I got into genealogy with DNA kit to find out who my family is, right? Oh, awesome. And so he didn't have he didn't have a mentor. Um, and so, as you know, talking about kids growing up generations, kids don't read a book on how to be an adult. They don't. They watch their parents. That's where they learn from. That's why they do the same things we do. We mimic. Jesus talks about this, right? Oh, be imitators of Christ. Why? Because what you see is what you do. Um, and so my dad has been always there. I mean, he's, he showed me everything. And even now, my mom, my dad will say, how do you do that? I'm like, well, what do you mean? Dad showed me how to do that years ago. You know what I mean? And he doesn't even realize he's teaching as I'm watching. You know what I mean? But as long as I'm there watching, he's showing me. And he's always been, he's always been encouraging. He's always been positive. He even said, you know, uh, if you ever get arrested, you know, I'm not coming down to the station. But he came to the station anyway. <laughs> and I wasn't arrested, but I was with a group of kids that got in some trouble in middle school. Uh, but but he's always just been, I mean, he's the one that's always showed me the way. Whether I have questions or, or meaning of life or whatever. And, you know, he's, when I had strong theological questions, like, oh, no, all this stuff about religion in my head, you know. And don't you have those same questions, Dad? He's like, it's not that I don't, you know, desire those answers. It's just as you get older, the, the need for that desire goes down. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're okay with things. What's wisdom? You know, it's wisdom, you know, and I think, uh, I think the older we get, the more wisdom we have and, and that, and that's, that's putting it to use though. You got to read. I think like, I didn't like reading back in the day. I I didn't like it at all. And now, you know, this is probably the best year that I've ever had reading books. I mean, I'm on audio all the time. I'm, if I'm in the car, I'm listening to audio. If I'm, if I'm at home and I'm not watching TV, I'm reading books, you know, it's easy enough to do nowadays. It is. It is. And I think too, as I was talking to my wife last night and she's like, I need to find the controller so I can watch the show. I said, well, why don't you just stop and sit down and read with me? Yeah. I said, we can read to each other. Yeah. And she looked at me and she's like, I'm just going to look for the controller. <laughs> so it's like, so it's like, it's just one of those things. It's like, yeah. I enjoy it because every time I pick up a book, I learn. And you're reading things that you're passionate about now, right? As On one, one, 100%. So yeah. like back in school, we were pushed through things and we're like, Hey, you, you got to learn this. You got to learn this. And, and I was that kid in freshman and sophomore year. It's like, dude, I don't want to do that. Right. right. That's boring. Right. That's so boring. You know? And I think, uh, my, my buddy Brian Hess says he puts his kids in a, a school in, uh, Pennsylvania yeah. and they have grades K one, two, and three in the same grade in same class. They? And then they do fourth, fifth, and sixth. 
And so they have all these kids together older, so they're learning from the older kids. So I thought that was a great way, and that's kind of like when you get into books and you start reading, you're just making your brain really just, that just flows. And then you're like, oh my gosh, I just learned this, I learned this. And your brain's open. When you're younger, you're just, I want to do this, and I don't want to do this. I want to do this, I want to do that. Well, part of, and part of the educational system is to teach conformity. I mean, you can't expect high school kids at at 7 o'clock in the morning to be interested in, you know, first hour history. You know what I mean? (laughs) But that's the teaching them that in work life, you're going to have to get up early and be on time, even if you don't want to do it. You know what I mean? Absolutely, absolutely. But uh, as far as that, that's amazing. The kids with other older kids, like, because we mimic, we mimic. This, 100%. this will blow your mind, right? Yep. What if I told you the desires that you have only come from other people's desires? The reason we dress, the styles we like, whatever it may be. You put two children in a room full of toys, they look around, right? The second one kid grabs a toy, what does the other kid want? Whole whole room of toys. He wants that toy. That His toy. desire came from that desire. And he'll go to violence to get that toy, won't he? Right? Oh, yeah. Our desires, so mimicking, it, it's a big, that's why Hollywood celebrities sell stuff. Because we see them like, do you want to be like J-Lo? Do you want oh, to be yeah. like oh, yeah. Peyton Manning? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So You know, that that's that's like, I've got goosebumps. Yeah. That's like crazy because that's what exactly the world is, and especially yeah. with social media. It magnifies that. Yeah. Well, it literally magnifies that. It does. So, like, people are like, you know, you're on a podcast. You're doing this. I could never do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, well, right. have you tried it? Right. You know? Right. And so then all of a sudden you start seeing other people do podcasts. And then, like, I got into podcasts because my buddy told me to get into podcasts. Sure. He's like, dude, you have a story. You need to share it. You yep. need to help people. This is what you need to do. Yeah. So, Absolutely. like, we want to do what other people are doing successful. We yeah, we mimic. Absolutely. We mimic. Right. I'm actually going to a conference Monday and Tuesday, and then I come back for a day or two, and then I leave to Lexington to go to another conference. So it's like the conference that I'm going to next week is for, for God's sakes, and yeah. it's all about God in your business. Yeah. And so it's like I'm going to this thing, with, and, and what's really cool is my mom is going too, and we're actually yeah. going together. Nice. So it's like something that we can do together. But when you go to these things, and you, and you, have, and you have God... Yeah. in your in your life sure and you mimic people and you have other people that love God and they do that it drives you even faster and oh, farther through so I really I, I wanted I wanted to share that because I, I feel like like when people do that it's just it's just, you can see this light on you, every yeah. time you see somebody that has full a guy my buddy Scott Ackerman says confidence you can tell yeah. when somebody has yeah. confidence. It yeah. just you can see sure. it. You know, you're gonna see it and it just lights up in their their whole whole world. But I wanna go into something and kinda like really just lighten up the mood because you're an avid you're an avid musician. Sure. But you tell me a little bit about the musician part because I asked you, Hey, can you go do this, can you go do that? And you're like, I'm really just play by ear. Uh, so tell me a little that's bit. That's the problem. That. So I come from, a, my genetics come from a family musician. My dad's a very talented music singer, um, guitar player. My mom, uh, her dad, you ever heard of Interlocking Music Camp up in Green Lake, Traverse City? It's a pretty famous music camp. And my grandfather was an instructor there. Okay. So my mom has six sisters and every one of them is classically trained in an instrument. My mom plays viola. And so at Christmas time, it was always crazy at our house with all the different instruments people being playing. So I come with a lot of genetics. Now here's the thing. I can't read music. I just can't do it. I've tried. I've taken the classes. Miss 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 uh, Miss Payne passed me, even though she should have failed me. You know what I mean? In my theory, um, I just couldn't. I just can't. For, it's one of those things. Like I just can't remember it enough to do it efficiently. Um, and so I don't read music, but I can hear the notes. I can sing the tones. I can match those in my head. Um, and so I can sing. Which is almost the hardest thing to do because people can learn sheet music, but right. not know how to play or not know to, how to hear it. You either have it or you don't. Teaching rhythm is difficult. It's really difficult. It's, it's almost it's almost like when like when I was younger, I used to get up and dance, and I have two left feet. 
Yeah, right, you know? right. And then I, got, I look at my boy doing TikToks and stuff, and I'm like, where did you get your moves? Right. It's right. like, holy crap, dude. Right. It's like, right. that's the kind of thing. It's like, we, we either have it or we don't. So you right. have it. So I wanted to really just change things up, because we've never done this on this podcast, but I really wanted you to pick up your guitar, and I want you to show my guest how talented you are. Oh, come on. You're, dude, you're making it way too big. Show him how dude, talented. Hey, to be, he's not a professional, but you know, when you hear him, you're going to be like, holy crap, dude, this guy's talented. Maybe. And you got to remember, he doesn't read sheet music. He taught himself. So let's, let's, let's just jump into this. Let's just do a little song. I don't care what you play, but why don't you just pick it up and just go? Okay. Are we pausing first or are we just going? No, just it? go. All we'll right. just go. Let's go. This is live. and This you know, is a Martin DX-175. It's 175th anniversary edition of Martin Guitars. Now it's high density propylethylene, HDPE, same as like your garbage can outside. Uh, it's plastic, it looks like it's wood, but that's why I got stickers all over it. And I actually traveled the country uh, in a fifth wheel and truck for three wow. years, uh, going to every national park I could. We've spent over 150 now. Uh, and everywhere I go, I collect stickers and then I was putting them on my guitar because I was playing everywhere I go. But I don't have to give you a BSI sticker, you don't have to put it on the guitar. Yeah, right. I think you have BSI. I see BSI everywhere. (laughs) At Ortonville, Clarkson, Clarkson yesterday's guy sitting in the stands with BSI hats. I even have my hat on today, make asphalt great again. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) By BSI. (laughs) Uh, Let's see, what should I play? I don't know, man, just uh, whatever you want to play that... uh, that song you're playing with in the beginning was pretty good. That was, yeah. Let's see here. Throw some music down just in case. I really don't play as often as I should. And the reason being is that it's like you need a reason. I need a reason to practice and train. You know, if yeah. I don't have something to work towards, it's like, you know what I mean? Oh, 100%. That's why I work so hard on this all the time, because it's like something new to me. So it's like, I want to be good at it. So from the first episode to now, it's like amazing yeah. difference. Just even knowing what I need to do on this platform, you know what I mean? It's like, I, I didn't know any of this stuff before I started, so. All right, well, hey, let's uh, let's do a little intro. We uh, we got a uh, Drew Holt on the, on the keys. <laughs> on the keys. <laughs> on the guitar keys. Yeah. What do they call that? Guitar? Guitar. Lying in my bed high here Clock ticking, think of you Caught up in circles Confusion is nothing new Flashback, warm Yeah. 
my picture face Darkness has turned to gray Watching through windows Wondering if I'm okay You say, oh no From deep inside The drum beats all time Oh man, look at that! <laughs> right? Woo. Talk about time, man. Woo! Time, that was man. good. Time. That's an old Cindy Lopper. Oh yeah, oh, old yeah. school, back oh, in the '80s. I, know, I, know. I love it. I love playing like old like uh, ballads like that. It just because I love listening to it as a kid. So then as I get older, I put my own spin on them, playing with open chords, and it's with, just it's fun. With that playing right there, this might be the most downloaded song. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> Not that you got good musicians out there listening. <laughs> hey, you got to understand is it's, it's it's all about the transition and how how now the transition goes right. I'm surprised you didn't pick that song, which is awesome because we're gonna go right into the time thing. Yeah, you know you're a historian. Oh, I you know, yeah. and 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 the the biggest thing is is what's really cool is I've been seeing all these things on social media lately. You pop up here, you pop up there, you post this, you post that. We've got some little football stuff that came oh, out, yeah. but. That song leads into the next question as time. You're doing this for Oxford, the museum. And what, what, what company are you volunteering for? So I, I volunteer at the Northeast Oakland Historical Society and Museum, which is like, you know, right there downtown, the Four Corners, Northwest Corner, Burdick and Washington. And uh, yeah, so so again, my whole history thing, the time with it, is that um, I was looking for my grandfather. And as I started working with with DNA and with ancestry and trying to find my roots and genealogy, I started coming across all kinds of relatives I didn't even know existed. I had no idea these people were all of a sudden, hey, you got a picture of my grandmother. Hey, you... and so my tree just exploded with all kinds of people. I'm looking for my, you know, my father's father. Yeah. Um, so that's what got me started. And I've come to the conclusion that if you take a person, if, if you don't know where you came from, you might not know where you are. And if you don't know where you are, you probably don't know where you're going. And if you don't know where you are and you don't know where you're going, we call that being lost. And so I think it's so important to preserve history, um, the way of life, the different, the, the different times, you know, um, preserve it, not always celebrate it, 
but mark it as what it is and, and preserve it so that we can learn from things. And so for me, I started with genealogy, but I just, I love history, especially local history um, from where I'm from. And for Oxford, it's, it's, it's at the museum where I help, you know, art with artifacts and, and um, you know, we're preserving things. And that's in, in putting things on display. So we come in there to remember, oh, man, that's what it looked like here in the 70s. Or that's what, you know, I posted a picture not too long ago of uh, Uncle Boomba's gas station, right, yeah. in, 19, in 1958 or whatever. People are like, what is that? You know, it's Uncle Boomba's. You'd have no idea. Oh, yeah. Or, uh, you know, people are just just interesting things like that. Um, I just love it because yeah, contrary to what uh, Napoleon's brother, might, uh, Kip, might have thought about uh, tra time travel, there is no time travel right. as far as physical. But... But you can go through time by looking at them. You can go through time in your head by looking at old pictures where you've been standing in the same spot and showing a picture, and that's like going back because because that, that time is captured in that picture and it still exists right now. That's that's I have a picture of uh, 1899, the Oxford Fair in 1899, six thousand people downtown Oxford. Everyone's dressed to the nines. Everyone's got their fanciest outfits and hats on. Um, that exists. That still exists because that photo is still captured that era right there. And so for me. That's like going back in time. Was that was that when the the road was dirt and everything? Oh yeah, before before the rail, before everybody, before everything. Oxford was, yeah. Oxford has been been around a long time. A funny story how it all got started here too. But uh, yeah, it's but that, so that's my whole thing. I love history. I love it's like they got to step back in time. And a lot of times, if you study history, things in the future make sense. I look at my family. My my brothers are all twigs. They're all like a hundred and nothing. You know, six foot nothing, hundred and nothing. And I'm this big dude. I'm like man. And my mom always told me, well, your Uncle John, you look like your Uncle John, you know. <laughs> so I'm going through genealogy, and I see this guy, I'm like, here's a picture of me in 1950. Oh, my like God, you. same build, the, the yeah. same, everything. Like, oh, that, that's where it is. That makes sense, you know what I mean? And so that the genealogy, I just I love. Now, it. how did you get into that? Like, like what, when you went back to look, is it stuff online? Is it stuff that you, you can point people in the right direction if they want to look and, and, and really pick sure. up their ancestry yeah sure so i use ancestry.com okay. right got my dna test if you're like oh you're submitting your dna it's not that big of a deal i don't think from you know what i mean it tells me where my relatives and ancestors came from uh but it is this was difficult to do before 2008 you'd have to hire somebody or as i did i would have to go to the mormon churches um almost every mormon church i think has a reading room on the back because the Mormons, uh, part of their afterlife, I think, is is their genealogy of who they'll be spending eternity with their family going all the way back from the beginning of their family line. Oh, wow. And so they, it's very important that they trace their genealogy. So every Mormon church, uh, Latter-day Saints, has a reading room in the back. And there's ladies that work in there, have office hours, and they go in and they help you study your genealogy. Who are you? Let's look you up. They have systems and computers, wow. and they just and they help me start. You know, really? Start and where, would you, where did you go to do that? Which which? Uh, I was church? in a, I was at a, a, a Latter Day Saints. I think it was in York Township, south of Ann Arbor. Okay. It was like, I didn't even know this building. I was like, well, that's a library. Or that's a church. I had no idea. Um, and that's where I started. Uh, and then in 2008, um, the Obama administration was going to digitize. They wanted to digitize so many archive files we have, but couldn't afford it. I mean, who yeah. can afford? millions and millions of scanning i mean it's oh, yeah. man hours so the mormon church said hey hey uh, if you give us free access to those we'll do it for free they said well, well uh, sure it's public information anyway yeah. obviously they don't they can't publish anything of people who are living yeah and only and i think it has to be 20 years behind us so you're not going to get anything yeah. you're not going to be able to find who lives where today and who it's all going to be like from the early 20 90s. years from now is when we graduate in 2000. yeah no, yeah right right <laughs> Yeah, so uh, FamilySearch.org, an organization, that's a free website that the Mormon Church 
actually wow. runs and it has all a lot of genealogical records wow. it's different from ancestry um not much different i think ancestry is a little better set up but it, you have to pay for service and it's expensive okay you know what i mean but for me who does it you know like well you want to learn you're going to spend the money i mean it's, yeah, it's, there's no there's yeah. no big deal yeah. now with, with with studying oxford what do you what have you found because because here's the thing is is you put you know my grandparents lived in the old brace beamer's oh, house yeah, yeah. You know, and when my grandpa did remodels and stuff like that, he would take the walls off and there was newspaper behind the walls. Oh, really? And he would give it to downtown. And he, he donated a lot of that stuff downtown okay. at the museum yeah. back in the 80s, early 90s. Oh, okay. All right. You know, so he, cool. he brought all that stuff there, which I, in turn, which is really exciting, I want to say this, is, is now the museum's open. Yeah. Oh, totally. And I don't know if the, you were a big part of that, but I, I, I want to say that, like, now it's open so now my, my my kids we used to drive by that a hundred times yeah. you know yeah. and my kids are like what's that i'm like it's a museum and i'm they're like can we go i go i think they're open like one hour a week right right <laughs> it's right, like right, that yeah. was at the time i think yeah. it was like it, and everything was just up in the ceiling and nothing was out dark. everything was dark and yeah. you know so tell us a little bit about the startup of the museum and and really just Tell me a little bit of the history of the museum and, and where where you guys where your goals are to get to where you guys want to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, the museum is the old Oxford Savings Bank from 1922 at uh, North Washington. There, um, it started out as a Michigan Central Railroad building because the railroad line used to come all the way down East Street and come down, and you could buy a ticket right there. And uh, so that front little corner was a door and a window. I got pictures to show you if you That's want awesome. um, to get your ticket. Uh, and then uh, then they used it. Now, there was a saloon downstairs and then a barber shop. And then there was, uh, and then so they used it for multiple different things until somebody finally uh, rebuilt it, and then they turned it into Oxford Savings, the Oxford Saving Bank. You know where the Tunstead Building is? Mm -hmm. it's, the, it's the three-story building right next to Patterson Pharmacy, okay. the right. tallest building yep. in Oxford. Yep. Uh, yeah, Mr. Tunstead built that building in I think 18, 1890s. That's the second building. In yep, second okay. one in the yep. third story. Yep, that, and so on the the Tunstead Hardware, right? Yeah. You know Tunstead Hardware. Yep. You may not remember, right. but Tunstead Hardware, and then. They, uh, it was bought when he retired, the family retired, uh, Tom bought it and moved it down the road to Tom's hardware. Okay. And then now it's Ace Stone's Ace hardware. So it's just moved around a little bit, but, um, uh, where were we before that? Uh, oh, so, so the bank, the ba basically yep. the bank. So yep. the bank, they turned into the, they, they moved out of the second floor of the, uh, Tunstead building and went down there and made that in their bank. They brought in Indiana limestone, did all limestone because it showed, amazing. showed security. And then they had block windows and they had those block windows removed recently. And usually those glass block, you take one out and they're silicone in, you just kind of pull them all out. Yeah. Those were mortared in. No they had to chisel each and every one of those out. Which they didn't know because we just had new paint and carpet and whole thing done at the museum. And then they had to do that. So there was still a little lag period of cleaning up still. But they had all those windows replaced with clear. Oh, no, um, I see it. You can actually see in there. Yes. And when you're walking around in there, you don't need lights on. It's just, it's bright. It's, awesome. it's amazing. Um, but that's the whole thing of the museum is preserving Oxford's history. We have, I mean, Oxford it was the largest gravel pit in the world from 1920s to the 1950s maybe even a little more maybe 1960s um, and that was ward's pit 115 acre lot as we know as oxford lakes yep. right it was filled in it was sold in the 1940s to american aggregates yep. who filled it in and turned it into oxford lake um but when that guy started when that guy came out here i mean basically you look back millions of years the glaciers wash down from the north, right? They're glaciers. They stop in Michigan, right? Right? Oh, yeah. And they start to recede back as the world gets warmer. So as they recede back, what's underneath Michigan? Granite. Granite. 
So the granite, the water doesn't go through the granite. So we have these huge giant lakes, Lake Michigan, Lake Erie, all the great lakes because they're granite underneath and fresh water in, inside of it. So because of that, where it recedes back, you get sand. Where else do you get sand? Around the edges of bodies of water. Well, Oxford's all sand. Well, how's it all sand? Well, it receded back and left all the sand and gravel there, right? So we got the gravel pits. And the gravel pits are what put Oxford on, on the map. And I kid you not, if you trace the history and trace the roots, you will see the booming 20s. Of, of Detroit from the early 1900s Ford and the factories, all the cars. Oxford had a car made here in Oxford called wow. the Oxford. Yep, it was a two-door wow. touring vehicle. I never knew that. The first boxer side-to-side -side engine, as opposed to up and down like the Ford yeah. was doing. Oh, yeah. First side-to-side, -side, so better torque, better. It never got off the ground. Different story. <laughs> but, but, um, what put Oxford on the map was the gravel. Why? Because Detroit was starting to boom. Well, how does Detroit boom? Well, the only way to do that is if you can build foundations, roads, sewer lines. Well, how do you do that? Cement. cement. Well, how do you make cement? Gravel, sand. Yeah, right. And so in Oxford was, was very, uh, uh, a very good part of the reason that Detroit flourished like it did because they had all this sand. All the gravel pits were here making cement companies. Uh, silo companies were here. We're there almost every day. I mean, we go yeah. into the pits every day. We pull yeah. material. We stockpile material. Yeah. Um, that's part of our job every single day is to make sure that we're making the foundation yeah. for the roads or for the you know parking lots or driveways exactly. or so forth. So, you know, the history of Oxford, which is pretty cool now that I have my business here. Yeah. Is, is is was mainly focused on gravel pits, which is really cool because now we've got a million gravel trains that come yeah, through Oxford right. on a continual basis sure. every day. You can hear them when you're in downtown. I'm sure you've you've oh, you yeah. felt set there, but you can hear them like shake. It yeah. shakes the buildings as yeah. it goes through. It's so, not conducive with outdoor eating with the restaurants. No, but, no, you know. no, right, for sure, for sure. And believe it or not, it's actually less gravel trains now than it was in the '70s and back. So at the time, Mr. Ward had the pit there. His first year, he did 200 carts of, of gravel. 200 his first year. Uh, by the mid-20s, he was the third factory out there, and he was doing, I think, somewhere between 500 and 1,000 1, tons a day. A day. <laughs> he, he had trained. So if you look at Koenig, which yeah. is there, the gravel pits. Yeah. If you look at their uh, their train, um, uh, uh, the, the receipts for their for their train for basically yeah. using the train service, yeah. one point eight million dollars in train fees in nineteen twenty six. Oh my! One point eight million in twenty six was a big dip. That just tells you how much. I mean, three railroad trains. I mean, came through there because you pick up, you dump it right in the cart. I wonder you know. what that dollar amount is from that. What I, was that back in the I have early no idea. 20s, yeah. early 30s? Yeah, before depression, I have no right. idea. Wow. It was huge. Wow. And then, and then of course, people that own these gravel pits are smart because then once they take all the gravel out, they sell them to developers. They lakes yeah. and beautiful yeah. subdivisions oh, like yeah. we're in. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's almost a monopoly. You're actually recycling the property. You're yeah. actually making I mean, Oxford Lakes is a beautiful sub. Absolutely. And they've got lakes, and they're clean. Yep. Clean. Yep. You That's know, so difference. anytime you have a gravel pit, even in here in Waterstone, I mean, anytime you have a gravel pit lake, it's just pure. Yep. It's clean. Yeah, it's know? true. Um, so I, I want to end this because, I mean, we could go on for hours yeah, and hours right. and hours. But I want your time is very valuable. But I want to thank you for coming on. And I, I think having playing the instrument and I think your wisdom that you brought in is it's just been amazing. So I just want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate you. And thanks for coming on. And, you know, we're, we, I, I have a feeling that you'll be back. Yeah. You know, because well, there's so many yeah. there's so many things that we can talk about. But my thing is, is the biggest thing about this whole conversation was just the wisdom. Yeah. 
you know, the wisdom as we grow up, the wisdom that we provide for our kids, the wisdom that we can, you know, almost let them mimic is, is, is the, is the faith, the, the pushing forward, the making sure you give it 100% being on time. You know, those are all little things that we as parents need to keep pushing out there. So I just want to thank you again. And, and I really, really appreciate your time and, you know, everybody, uh, you know, this is a definitely a very good experience and I really appreciate it. So yeah. thank you. Well, for, thanks for having me. I thank appreciate you. it. I appreciate it.